And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. My Twitter handle is at JakeJakeNY, at JakeJakeNY for rolling commentary, news stories you probably haven't seen, or maybe you have, but maybe a different new angle on them. Um, I always recommend following the Twitter feed as much as possible just for good perspective and, and information that you, you probably aren't seeing if you're only watching the major news sources or reading the major news sources. Um, there is an important preamble that I have to make before going on with the main point of this edition of Novak Now, and that is that I am not, repeat, not telling people to ignore the medical advice they're getting, to ignore the rules that are being set for now. I am not, underlined, not downplaying the severity of coronavirus and for, for many people, really for millions of people when you think about it. And I'm not calling anything a hoax. I'm not calling anything phony. Uh, quite the contrary, I'm going to be talking about what the realities are here. But you have to bear with me as I sort of set up a premise for what needs to be said and explain why that has to play into our thoughts more than just something that we have to endure. So, of course, I'm talking about the lockdowns, the quarantines, and, and all the rules that have changed in our lives and the way that our daily lives have, have changed. And we're reaching a point where it has already been exceedingly cruel. And again, by that I'm not saying to ignore any medical advice you're getting. I am just stating a fact. I'm, I'm throwing out an incredibly accurate adjective about what this lockdown and for some people, the quarantine has been like. It's been cruel. It has been cruel. During the history of our tragedies, either as Americans or as Jews, we've had certain things that we could hold on to, at least in the modern era, in the modern era of this country, in the modern era of the Jewish people. We've had certain things that we could hold on to that are not available to us at this time, which is making this even crueler than some of the other things that we've had to deal with. Let's talk about 9-11. The 9-11 attacks, as horrible and as shocking and as deadly as they were, we as Jews could gather together in synagogues to pray as we thought about this, as we dealt with it we were able to gather together for Yom Kippur and the other high holidays that happened around that time 19 years ago. We were able to be together as families. And if we were off work for a few days, because if you remember, at least here in New York City, the, the, the transportation situation was sort of off kilter, we at least could be together as a family. And as an extended family and as a community, we could go to services, we could go to candlelight vigils, we could do all those kinds of things. We cannot do that now. And as we worry about our potential health situation, so many of us know people who are suffering with the disease. I, I've been very fortunate, I guess, in that I only just learned on Thursday of one person I know personally who was stricken with coronavirus, um, happy to say he's getting better, 
He's basically completely better and didn't even have to go to the hospital. But most of us at least know someone second or third hand who has suffered from this. If you are a medical professional, you know people who have died. I mean, just if you are a medical profession in the New York, New Jersey area, you know people who have died, either your colleagues or some of your patients, of course. And yet we cannot say Kaddish for them, not in a minion. If we have a, a family member who has died, there's not going to be a shiva. I don't know what the funeral situations are. I suppose it's just a, a couple of people at bare minimum. I'd have to ask some of the funeral homes and the synagogues and rabbis what's being done in these situations. But it is really like being victimized twice or, or three times. Now I'm talking about the most extreme cases here. I'm talking about people who have lost loved ones, people who are sick, and how the cruel aspects of this lockdown make that worse. But what about just some of the ordinary folks like, like me and my family? Thank God we're not showing any symptoms. We don't have anyone we know personally. I know one person personally who has it who I have not been in contact with in, in many, many months from a physical point of view or been in the same room with him. So I know that that's not going to be a threat to me. But after two weeks plus of this situation, not working, kids at home from school, it's exceedingly cruel for them. Now, a lot of kids are happy to be off of school for a little while, but that starts to take its toll after a while. Suddenly that changes to children not being able to see their friends. Uh, my kids generally like school, especially my younger daughter, that, but they both really like the academic aspects of school. They're both really into that. It's just that my younger daughter enjoys the social aspect of school much more than my older daughter, who doesn't hate it either. But this is starting to take a major toll as well. The FaceTime calls and the regular phone calls and the texts can only go so far. It is really an in-isolation, indefinite isolation aspect of cruelty for young children. And again, I'm going to say this a couple of times, and I'm sorry if it's repetitive for those of you who have been listening from the beginning. Again, I am not telling people that this is a hoax. I am not telling people to disregard these rules at this time. What I am going to be talking about is how we get ourselves out from under this and how we need to do that. I will be talking about that in a few minutes. But for now, I am not saying this isn't real. I'm not saying this isn't something that you should follow. Let's all follow the rules and let's all try to keep ourselves as safe as possible until we have the right methods and tools to start ending this. And I'm gonna, again, I will talk about what I believe those right methods and tools are in just a few minutes. For older people, especially grandparents, but getting back to the cruelty of this, for, for them, it is also exceedingly cruel. For my in-laws, my parents live uh, for much further away, but for, for my in-laws who are frequent visitors in our home and vice versa, we go to their home, the thought of not being able to sit with them at the Seder several days from now is, is cruel. It's a cruel thought, and it's probably going to happen, and it's really sad. This is very, very difficult. Again, from, from, for, for, for Jewish people who celebrate the holidays, who observe the Shabbat, who, who daven every day, and for Jewish people who are, aren't even that observant but do have maybe a, a, some, a loved one who has either become sick or has passed away, this is exceedingly cruel. 
these rules that, that we're under that being that are being imposed right now again may be necessary but what we knew know for sure is that this is a cruel cruel situation for so many of us and i'm sure there are many other examples i mean i'm i'm trying to hold back weeping for my children who are missing some important milestones in school my younger daughter's graduating from elementary school and, and we can have a discussion another time about how all these graduations that they have for kids now are you know more than what we used to have but I'm not talking so much about the graduation ceremony. I'm talking about some of the activities that were scheduled. She missed a, she, her basketball team made it to the championship game, which is canceled. I, 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 I'm kind of upset when people say things are canceled when there's no reason why they can't be rescheduled. That's another discussion to have. But for now, it's canceled, and that's a big disappointment to her. Her end-of-the-year activities that she was looking forward to so much, going to a play, they were going to go to a Broadway play, they're going to have a big dance at the end of the year. I mean, apparently, that's all in limbo, possibly, or even probably canceled. It's sad. And she was going to go to sleepaway camp, her Jewish, her Jewish sleepaway camp, for another year, which she looks forward to for 10 months out of the year. And that's very much in limbo as well. And that's rough on a kid, and it's rough on a parent who feels like the kid is missing out on something that can never be replaced. Some of these childhood moments can't be replaced. And that's just my sixth grade daughter. What If you have a child who's graduating high school now, my goodness. I mean, imagine missing your high school graduation. Imagine missing, you know, if you're a secular person, your high school prom. Things that you look forward to for many, many years that are just, you know, either canceled or indefinitely postponed or may never happen. It's rough. It's rough on kids. It's rough on older people. It's rough on the parents. And now we have to talk about the economy. The American economy on many, many levels continues to be shut down. And this is an intolerable situation for so many people. So many people. (laughs) People live in this country, most people live in this country paycheck to paycheck. That's just the truth. I don't know how people are surviving right now without the paychecks for a couple of weeks. So many millions of Americans. I assume they're getting some unemployment insurance. I don't know what the situation is at the food banks and and the food pantries and the the soup kitchens. I don't know what those situations are as far as what their lockdown rules are. I I assume they're considered essential providers. So I don't think they've been shut down. But it may be difficult to get to them. You may have to wait a long time outside as they keep crowd control to to a a minimum. Uh, That's got to be harrowing what about the rent checks and the mortgage payments i i know that in california three or four of the major banks have have deferred mortgage payments for a few months that's fantastic but as far as i know that's not a national policy Uh, i think it needs to be you know before we send out these twelve hundred dollar checks that the stimulus bill they're calling it that I, i i think it's really a rescue coronavirus rescue bill of which there may be many need to be many more I know that we'll, we'll send to a lot of Americans a, a $1,200 check each. But as I've said and written a number of times, it's more important to look at what the bills are as, a far, as opposed to putting cash in people's hands. $1,200 is not going to cut it for rent or mortgages for the overwhelming, overwhelming majority of Americans right now. And I think that 
one of the reasons why we, quote, bail out the banks is because if we can say to them, listen, you guys need to suspend your mortgage collections for a month, two, maybe even three months. And for that, we will, quote, bail you out. We'll back you up. The, the, the Fed, the Federal Reserve Bank will keep your situation liquid as you recoup that money, as it takes longer for you to recoup that money. If you ever do, you may have to have some defaults here. To me, that was a much bigger priority than, than sending 1200 bucks out to people or backing up some other industries, which definitely need to be backed up. I get it. Through no fault of their own, the airlines have been shut down. Through no fault of their own, the banks may be shut down to a point where they, they just really can't do true business anymore while we go through this lockdown. But, you know, economic cruelty is real. This is not about some rich guy opening up his 401k statement and seeing that it's down 30%. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about millions and millions of Americans who are out of work and don't have any income, and they still have to keep the lights on, the rent paid, and the food coming on the table. This is not anything to sneeze at. And... It's very disappointing to hear a lot of people talking about like, well, you can't put a price on life. I, I understand that. But if millions of Americans remain out of work indefinitely for weeks and weeks and weeks, there, there is going to be loss of life in many real ways. And some of these jobs will not be immediately restored, if ever. I have to remember that. Not every job is going to be restored. I think in Israel alone, some of the people in the finance ministry believe that 20% of the jobs that are now on hold in Israel will never come back. (laughs) It's almost all the jobs. So we're talking about a lot of jobs not coming back in Israel. That's going to be the case here in the United States as well as this continues to drag on. Unless we do some really smart things like I've been talking about. We have to suspend rent and mortgage payments. The government has to suspend tax bills, which they've done from the income tax filing deadline and the income tax payment deadline. They've, they've, they've extended that to J- July 15th, and that's great. But what about property taxes? The, the, the states and the localities need to suspend that as well. The utilities need to suspend the, 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 the payments. I think in many ways, who would have thought? California is out in front on this. California has done a lot of the things that I've, that I've just said. They've suspended evictions. They've suspended turning off the power and, and the water. They've gotten a lot of these banks to suspend mortgage payments. This has to happen. You can't have a situation where you have, and of course, on the other hand, if we, if we promise to back up some of these industries, if we promise to back up the banks and the utilities and such, as they, they don't get money coming into them, we have to make sure that the industries that are getting help don't take advantage of this. On a large scale, we have examples like United Airlines, which got this bill with this backup money, this rescue money, and they still went off and, and laid off, uh, went off and, and laid off a bunch of their workers. They should not, not have done that. And if there was something else that they needed to avoid those layoffs, they should have been that should have either been granted to them, or it should have been discussed and negotiated on a much smaller scale. Now I'm going from the airlines all the way to something much much lower, but something everyone can understand. There are a number of workout gyms, exercise places that are still collecting the monthly on your credit card, the monthly dues that you pay them, and yet they're laying off their whole staff. Now, I assume there are other sources of revenue 
for those gyms. Maybe they get some advertising money. You know, sometimes you go to these gyms and you see ads, so maybe they get some advertising revenue. I assume that they get, uh, obviously they get extra revenue from people. Other, I'm talking about revenue other than membership fees, uh, the, the monthly fees. They probably make some money. They make some decent money from people who pay extra for personal training. But they're, these gyms are laying off and not paying their workers, even as they're getting paid their monthly bills. That, that has to stop, too. That needs to be discussed. So my point is, is that this lockdown and the economic cruelty is very, very hard to measure because it's so extensive. And it's not about, oh, being worried about people who have money and, and deciding, well, we're going to let people die so that you can have a better stock market portfolio. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the economic aspect, the cruel economic price that all of us are paying and are going to continue to pay for a long time because of this lockdown. And this all has to be considered. So what is it that we have to do? What is it that we have to do to end the cruelty of this lockdown? Now, the easy answer is we have to wait for this virus to go away. Okay. I think that that is a major aspect, a relatively major aspect of this discussion. With the caveat being that we don't understand, we may never, it may never completely go away. The flu never completely goes away. Chickenpox almost went away until we had all these anti vaxxers come out and not take their vaccines. But for the most part, chickenpox is not anything like it was when I was a kid. When I was a kid, everyone got it. I got it when I was five. I had a pretty bad case, actually. Um, almost no one gets it now. And even with the anti-vaxxers, that's still true. But that's a good thing. But for the most part, these things don't always completely go away with the exception of, of, a, of a couple of major diseases that only come back when we have a large group, a segment of the population not taking their shots and other types of major public health threats like a large homeless population will bring back tuberculosis or even some very other old, old diseases, things like that. But it may not completely go away, coronavirus. It may stick around in, this, in, in the United States. It may just have different levels of outbreak and different levels of, deadly, of, of, its, of a deadly nature. But what I think we need to do is make sure that we get together a group of people who are as apolitical as possible but represent Obviously, the medical establishment, the med- I wouldn't even say establishment, medical experts, economic experts. And I think even to some degree, we have to have some people who are really, really smart about our social constructs here in the United States. People who really understand, I mean, I guess sociologists, I guess the best word for it. People who are really well-versed in all of those things and set up a blue ribbon panel of these people to advise not only when we should start to ease this lockdown, this national lockdown, but how we're going to do it. In other words, should we start with younger people? 20 to 40, 20 to 50 year olds who show no symptoms, who will subject themselves to some kind of quick check for symptoms and allow them to go back to work. Do we then go to school children? And allow them to go to school 
some period during the week. Maybe it's maybe we start with three days a week. Maybe we start with half days for an entire week. Maybe we just tell the teachers in the school who are between the ages of 20 and 50 that they can teach and, and everyone else should stay home. And of course, of course, of course, whether it's a child or the most elderly person in the world, if they do have symptoms, uh, let alone if they test positive, they should not be included in this. But we cannot allow these decisions to be made only by the medical experts. As apocryphal as that sounds, as revolutionary as that sounds to many of you, not, medical experts cannot be the only ones to make this decision because medical experts, from my experience, don't understand the economic effect, which, of course, swirls back into the medical effect. If people aren't making money in this country and industry isn't doing anything... There's not going to be enough money to pay for anybody's medical care. And of course, if people are sitting at home unemployed and start to not have any money for food, for shelter, for heat, then people will die. Most likely more people than will die from the coronavirus. So people who understand the economic effects on health, economic effects on our society, need to be included in this decision as well so that we can come up with some kind of equation some kind of paradigm to explain how this is going to work. And there has to be a sociological aspect of this as well. I don't know, maybe it's also psychological. Maybe psychiatrists should be a part of this to discuss how much longer our families, our people can stay in isolation before a massive amount of depression starts to hit the country, which also is a major, major health crisis. We already have, in my opinion, a depression Mental health crisis in this country, mental health in this country has been, you know, at every level that we can measure it. We have so many examples just hitting us in the face of mental health in this country being under siege. Whether it's the explosion in the homeless population in some of our major cities, which is directly tied to mental health, directly, directly directly tied to mental health and drug addiction, which of course drug addiction, of course, is also directly tied into mental health whether it's the rise in teenage suicide, which of course is connected to mental health, whether it's the rise in suicide in general, we're seeing a lot of older people committing suicide. We know that from, we know that from the gun, quote, gun violence statistics. Again, most people who die because of a gun in this country die because of suicide. That's a mental health issue. And of course, it would take a long time to discuss how we're going to take that on. But we don't need another major mental health crisis, which, listen, we're gonna, we have a major challenge from mental health from this anyway. That's going to happen anyway from coronavirus, even if we never had a lockdown. But we have to measure the, the effects of that on the health of the country. So even though I'm saying it can't just be the medical experts who make this decision, actually, every single decision still comes into the health of the country, whether it's from the specific virus threat to our health, whether it's a specific economic threat to our health, whether it's a specific mental health threat to our health. These are still health decisions that are being made. And again, I must underline, once again, very, very important for me to emphasize, I am not, not telling people, I am not telling people to disregard any of the rules, quarantines, lockdown rules right now. What I am trying to say is that these rules, quarantines are cruel, whether they are necessary or not. I think a lot of it is necessary. 
But there's no changing, that doesn't change the fact that it's cruel. Think of it like a surgery. If someone, God forbid, has to have their leg amputated, that is a cruel thing to happen to a person. But if they need to have it done, it needs to be done. doesn't mean it's any less cruel or devastating to the person who undergoes that procedure. This lockdown is cruel and it's devastating on a lot of levels. We don't know yet how necessary it is, but we also know that we have to comply for now. But this can't go on for much longer. President Trump said on Sunday that the social distancing guidelines are going to be extended through April 30th. I think that there's a lot about that that can be managed. Many of us can go through our lives, even at work, and do a better job than we have in the past at our social distancing. We can cut down on all the break room nonsense. I mean, everywhere I work, I've, I've worked or visited over the last few years has basically kitchens and living rooms and dens at work. And I don't know if that's, you know, listen, I understand why that's being done. There are a lot of reasons for that. Not the least of which that the folks, the bosses and the corporations want us all to be at work longer. So they create more of a home atmosphere at work. It's not all nice. It's not all being done out of the goodness of their heart. You understand. But from a public health standpoint, maybe that's not so smart. Maybe we shouldn't be working, eating, I guess in some cases, napping, (laughs) in the close proximity with our, with our coworkers. Maybe we should never have been doing that in the first place. That's not what this is about. Now, if you're in the military or serving in, you know, in a submarine, I get it. But if, if you're at the usual job in America, which we're, which we're learning even more now, does not necessarily require being in an office so much. But if you're at the usual job in America where you're either in a factory or you're in a, you know, most, more likely you're in an office... Maybe we don't need to be as on top of each other as we, as we are. Maybe we don't need to have these meetings all the time in close quarters. Ask anybody who really knows about the efficacy of meetings in America. How many meetings do you go to in your job in a given week that are really necessary? And some of you might go to, those me- might go to meetings that last five minutes and everyone just goes, those are great. But I'm talking about the ones that go longer. And, you know, they're very often in close quarters and maybe we don't need to be doing that so much. These are all things to consider. But the fact is we need to set up a team of medical experts, economic experts, sociological experts, and I guess psychiatric experts, a blue ribbon panel. The White House should do this. And you know what? Let Congress play a role as well. Let, let the congressional leaders nominate one or two people. But the problem with that is that if we get people with political agendas, it's just going to be a big problem. And politicians are, in my opinion, incapable of nominating and putting people on these kinds of panels <laughs> that aren't political. So I don't know how exactly we put this panel together. I would, I would basically allow the White House to do it with the understanding that some of the people on the panel will probably be, will probably be there because of political reasons and not because of their true expertise. That's, that's just one of those things. I don't know if we can fix that. But at some point, that needs to happen. I think it needs to happen quickly so that we can decide when is it that we can start to ease this. And of course, other factors have to be put into play also. We need to see more evidence that these malaria drugs are working. We're hearing a lot of evidence that they're working on people who have the disease And if that's the case, that should speed up the process for ending this lockdown. We're hearing about vaccine testing. That's probably not going to be something that's going to be available until next year. So I think we need to ask ourselves, as medical, economic, and sociological experts, at what point do we trust the malaria pills enough 
to treat the most serious cases, to treat cases quickly so that we can start lifting the lockdown. And even if we have a new spike of people with the disease, it won't be as deadly in the long run because we'll have these drugs available. These are the things that we must consider because this lockdown, necessary or not, is cruel and it cannot go on. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Malcolm Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.